Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. I want to welcome Sustainable Finance Podcasters to my conversation with Jeremy McCool, founder and CEO of Hevo, that's H-E-V-O, a pioneer in EV wireless charging software and services. Jeremy founded Hevo just over 10 years ago, and we met three months ago, I think it was, Jeremy, when we were doing another podcast program for the Socially Inspired Investor Digest. How have you been? And well, good to be back. Good. Well, congratulations, first of all, on Hevo's recent 10th anniversary celebration. That's quite an achievement. It still feels like day one in many ways. Uh, and anybody that's ever been in a clean tech type of company understands that uh, every single year can feel like 10 years as well. But, you know, would not have changed it for the world. Uh, so very happy to have celebrated that with such a, a great team and looking forward to the next 10. Terrific. Well, during our conversation a few months ago, we spoke about EV mobility in general and EV wireless charging in particular. But that conversation seems like ancient history now, given the pace of change in this industry. So let's kick off today by uh, having you answer this question. What's not dramatically different in, in the world of Hevo since July when we met? <laughs> Well, in the world of Hevo, uh, everything has changed, but what's not changed is that people continue to work hard and be engaged in what we're doing. We, we continue to find people uh, from around the world that want to be part of this. And that part for us is inspiring because after 10 years of doing this, you, you need to have that, that continued uh, inspiration, not just from internal, but from external. So everything has changed in many ways, but all the things that are key to the core values of the company and the ingredients still remain there, which is what continues to push us forward. Uh, that being said, if we look at the bigger realm of electric vehicles in general, my gosh, uh, it looks like Tesla continues to dominate and we start to see uh, what these new uh, opportunities are that are out there with the electric vehicle car companies that are starting to, to really form their EV charging and EV uh, platform. So there's going to be a lot of, of new material to talk about here today beyond just wireless charging. But in our sphere, uh, things are moving quite quickly. And I would state that, you know, what we have in front of us is, is really a momentum at this point. Great. Well, listen, yeah, let's start getting into the fun stuff. And so the, what that means for me is what's new and different at Hevo since July. How are your technologies progressing? And uh, there's certainly a lot going on in the industry as a whole. Uh, I know we one of the things we talked about back in July was the idea of, of having charging strips in highways. And apparently that's going to happen fairly soon in the state of Michigan as a starter, right? That's right. So let's start with some of the early news. First is, is that Hevo formed a partnership with Oak Ridge National Laboratories. Over the last decade, the Department of Energy has funded uh, Oak Ridge National Laboratory to develop wireless EV charging. And effectively, Hebo became the commercial partner for the technologies developed in those labs, 
therefore making us the commercial partner of all the DOE-funded Oak Ridge National Laboratory developments. Uh, what has come from that is, is that the technology from those laboratories are able to do fundamentally much faster, extreme fast charging. We're talking about in the hundreds of kilowatts, even in the megawatts of wireless charging, which is incredible. The other thing about this is, is that technology is capable of being able to do vehicle to grid and also dynamic in-road lane charging. So what that really starts to shake out is we can start to see our vision come full fold when we start to think about how do we roll out a nationwide, a global EV charging type of platform that's universal, that's accessible and democratized for everybody to be able to use equitably. And that's what really wireless charging can do. So step one, bring technology to the masses and make it easy for the masses to adopt in. Step two in this thing that has happened over the last six months, uh, frankly, has been we've had a supercharged level of interest and procurement uh, that has happened over the last three months even with projects around the world. We have now projects on three continents. We are sending technology to companies at the forefront of EV and EV charging. But even more importantly, when we look at the major automakers involved with wireless charging, what we see, at least from Hebo's point of view, is that we have about seven out of the 10 largest automakers that we're involved with one way or another. And that's important because at the end of the day, in order to really make wireless charging work, automakers have to adopt in. And so what we do know is that the automakers are very engaged at looking how to improve the user experience, how to make it as universal and common as trying to fuel a gas tank with fuel. But in order to do this, they have to start someone. And so right now we're predominantly starting in their laboratories. Some of those automakers are already far down the line of doing their technology assessments. So we should start to see uh, automakers putting wireless charging on their vehicles as early as 2024, even maybe as early as 2023. Exciting. And what's really great and exciting about that part is then we start to see other things unfold. Uh, we do have now a service and license agreement for our software with one of the biggest automotive tier ones in the world. Their focus is to first unveil it and demonstrate it for the world and to promote that technology so that then they can go start promoting it to actually put it into the in-dash displays as a user experience for those, those UIs in those vehicles so that there can be one universal EV charging experience. And so this is a huge uh, opportunity for Hebo because not only does our hardware start to make its way into automakers' factories to be factory built in, but we're starting to see our software really become something that these automakers want to have as well. And the tier ones that we're engaged with are some of the biggest in the world. We're talking about out of the top five, we're engaged with two, three of those already. Uh, so there's some big news to come out of this soon, but right now, it's all about uh, keeping the momentum moving forward and delivering on what they need today. Yes. Now, we were um, exploring last time we spoke. Uh, one of the questions that had come up was the concept that, all right, we've got hundreds of millions of vehicles uh, 
fossil fuel burning vehicles that are out there on the roads every day uh, in cities and across the country and around the world. And a lot of those vehicles are um, fairly new uh, from the perspective that their, their owners are probably not going to want to trade them in in the next few years. You had mentioned something the last time we spoke about the potential of conversion of uh, fossil fuel burning vehicles uh, to electric. Uh, have you uh, made any progress in that direction or what's, what's going on with regard to that approach? So HEPO doesn't have anything to do with that part of the industry, but we fully support it, of course. So there are a lot of conversion companies out there. Uh, there's a lot of work being done to think about how we can use these billions or you know, over a billion vehicles today that are internal combustion engine vehicles and transfer them into being an electric car. However, you know, that's going to come with a cost. But you, know, you would also think that that cost is going to be cheaper than buying a brand new car. So there's a couple of ways to look at it. First is, can we get the battery prices down low enough that that part of the conversion is, is simplified uh, so that people don't have to take a huge dent? Second part is in really thinking about how the balance and the weight of the vehicle works. Hevo's not involved you know, directly in anything related to conversions, but we do have relationships with companies that do convert electric vehicles. And, Really, where we're seeing the majority of conversion vehicle type of applications happening today is in fleet. So in fleet, there are a numerous amount of reasons why you would want to consider a transition from your existing vehicle to an electric vehicle. Uh, one up front is the, the cost. It's just much cheaper to do it that way. But the second part is, is that you can rely on that vehicle in terms of, of what the rest of the performance of it is. And it's more standardized to the way that drivers look and drive in, in terms of the cars that they use today. So uh, that's a huge opportunity. It really helps to perhaps reduce the cost of some of the more expensive items that are, are gonna be in those electric vehicles in the first place, especially the batteries. But you know, we, we really see it as just one part of the mix. Um, there's, a, there's just so much happening with new factories being built specifically for purpose of building an electric vehicle. So right. we, we, we see conversion being there, but it's going to be representatively probably a small summation of the bigger opportunity with all the major automakers going electric. Yes. Now, you just mentioned that uh, the uh, large automakers going electric and Everybody's read those stories, I probably over the net last month or so. Um, one of the things that is seems like it's going to be maybe a significant part of that uh, rollout, I don't know, is this idea of, of uh, EV subscription. In other words, not, uh, not owning the car, just signing up for it, having, every, having someone else take care of all the, the repair needs and the upgrades and that sort of thing and trade in, and also the recycling of all of the materials that make up those, those vehicles going forward, where no one, you or me or Will, won't actually own the vehicle we're driving. We'll just lease it or it'll, we'll have a subscription agreement that we roll over every couple of years. Does that, does that approach to the EV build-out have any impact on your business, uh, either positive or negative? Sure does. First is that we really see the subscription model being played out 
uh, not only for EVs, but for EV charging as the next real focus of where we're going to be going with our model. Initially, everything has been around the purchase of equipment, whether you're a fleet or you're a residential home, you know, type of application. But the reality is in order to get mass adoption, we got to remove the purchase barriers uh, to this industry. And that's really what the biggest problem is. When we look at what it takes to purchase an electric vehicle, then to purchase the charging station equipment, then to have that installed into your home, then the upkeep for all these things, it's a huge upfront cost. And frankly, it's not for the masses, it's, it's for the wealthy. And that's the way it's been for the last 10 years. And if, if we're not careful, that's the way it's gonna be for the next 10 years as well. It's really hard for somebody to fathom spending 20 to 50% more on an electric vehicle when they're categorically not using electric vehicles for their day-to-day -to -day use today. So we gotta think about it from the purchaser's point of view. What they have to do to go into electrification is so much harder and more stubborn than it is for them just to go purchase another gasoline vehicle. Now, that being stated, so many nations and so many states, even within the United States, they've made these decrees that there's not going to be any more internal combustion engine vehicle cells post-2025 or 2030 or 2035. So we're going to see more of those happening. But that doesn't mean that we've, we've fixed the real problem. The real problem is people can't buy and afford these EVs up front for the most part. So how do we make that easier? Well, first is packaging everything together and then going forward with a plan, a program that gets them the EV for a lease period. But then there's this EV charging infrastructure side that has to be sorted out because most people in the world live in urban environments. Then most people don't have a place to put a charger inside their home. So that really leaves a lot of people with, you know, stranded asset in the form of this huge battery bank on wheels, their, their car, without the ability to take it, you know, easily somewhere in charge. So we have to really get into the nitty gritty of how do we accelerate the EV infrastructure? Because that is really the preclude to the EV adoption. If you really look at companies like Tesla as an example, Tesla is a perfect example of what happens when you build a fully functioning, well-developed EV charging, supercharging infrastructure. If it wasn't for the supercharging infrastructure, there would, no, there would not be any reason to have a Tesla vehicle other than the purpose of just wanting to have bragging rights because there would be no real way to be able to charge a vehicle beyond your normal commute every day in a realistic sense. And I'm saying that from being in this industry. One of the biggest challenges that I face as an EV driver all the time, and I just went through this problem in the last two weeks, is that the EV charging infrastructure that is not Tesla is not reliable. It also, I would state, is often broken. There's an, uh, there's an operation and maintenance issue with these plug-in chargers. Uh, two weeks ago, I was taking a trip nearby from the Jersey Shore back up to New York City. That's only a little bit over 50 miles. I had a stop point in the middle. 
my vehicle that I was driving is an older vehicle, so the battery doesn't get the range that it used to. So when I stopped, I stopped with not many miles left on the range. I pulled up to a, a location that had six fast chargers. Only one fast charger was operational. Five of them were broken. The one that was operational, somebody was charging on it. This was at a mall parking lot. That person went into the mall. So God knows when they're going to come back. I had to wait there for an hour and a half for the person to come back. And then I had to charge for another hour. So my total time was two and a half, almost three hours, where if I would have been, you know, charging on a Tesla supercharge type of network, I know I would have been only an hour, maybe even 30 minutes of charging and been on my way. And this is the dependability issue that's going on. So we have to make EV charging more dependable. We have to make it also more accessible because the Tesla charging network really only works for people with Teslas. And we have to make it inexpensive. It has to be as well priced, if not cheaper, than gasoline. And I often find, uh, and I hear it all the time from, from customers of ours, that people are paying more per mile for electric vehicle charging in public locations than they are for gasoline. And that's just not, that's not going to move the needle in terms of adoption. You know, Jeremy, I, I live in a small town uh, in the Hudson Valley in New York. New Pulse is the name of it. And it's, it's, it's one of the stops on the New York State Thruway. And the local diner, uh, which is about maybe a quarter mile from the, the entrance to the Thruway, uh, has, um, I think, six Tesla charging stations and they're mm -hmm. always full on the weekends because people are traveling up and down back and forth upstate back and forth and i i've been going over and asking on the weekends some of the drivers who are charging how is how does this work for you and the the people who own teslas as you said uh seem to be having a reasonable experience with availability of these charging stations and um uh, the time frame that it takes them to to repower the car you know, Paul, there's, a, there's an important point to that. You see them full all the time. And so that just means that they're going to be more full as time goes because there's going to be more people adopting in. Hmm. There's about a half a billion, I'm sorry, a half a trillion dollars that is going to electrification from the major automakers at this point. Uh, total pledged to date is over 300 50 billion dollars right so we're going to have all of a sudden a world that's going to be electric everything what that's going to do in terms of the environment for ev charging is that we have to do an expensive overhaul of the grid system to be able to manage that kind of demand we have to then think about strategically how we're going to place these charges in locations where we're going to have massive demand points at, at varying points of the day and what that's going to do to the price of energy. And finally to that point, and it's often lost in the conversation, where is that energy coming from? Because if it's coming from coal-fired, like in West Virginia, give it up. <laughs> it's not worth it. If it's coming from, you know, nat gas and mix, okay. But in order to get the full effect of an electric vehicle, you have to power it up on renewables. It doesn't make any sense. You have to know that those electrons going into your battery bank on your vehicle 
are derived from renewable. And we're not able to really do that at all today. Yeah, you get mixed grid and there's, you know, renewable energy being generated from farms and solar farms and wind farms, but they're getting mixed in. And if that's part of a mix and it only represents, you know, 10%, that means the rest of it is fossil fuel. You're literally driving your car in fossil fuel. So we have to get smarter around how we deploy these assets and how we power those assets. We've got some good ideas at Hevo and how we're going to plan, plan this out and try to roll it out. And with the recent $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, that's a pretty good place to play at. But what we really believe in is that in order to make this work, I'm talking about it being the whole thing, EV adoption, renewables, everything that we need to save this planet and our species and all the other species on it, we have to get moving fast. And we have to do it in a way that makes it accessible for everybody. And we can't rely on the fact that there's going to need to be hundreds of millions of individual plug-in charging stations. That's insane. We, we really can't, we can't fathom how that will happen. And to get even a charger in your home can take six months to 12 months because of the backup in terms of supply chain problems that are happening around the world. Mm. And then getting an electrician out to your home and then paying for that. I mean, we're not even talking about the public. We're talking about even at your home. So. This is where Hebo comes in. We have a plan. We have a whole strategy around how we think the world can rapidly adopt into renewables and into EV adoption. And I would love to speak with that point uh, if you're ready to talk about it. <laughs> yes. Well, we have a little bit more time today to have part of that conversation, and we'll have to come back for another one, another session uh, in the near future to continue it. But tell us what you can today about yeah. what, what kind of implementation uh, Evo is 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 developing. And uh, it, it sounds like you've got the right partnerships going. You're working with major manufacturers who are very, uh, you know, as, as you and I both know, they're, 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 they're bordering on desperation in terms of wanting to get this out too, because of all the job creation that gets involved with, with a whole new fleet of electric vehicles that they're manufacturing, plus the, the international competition. So uh, give us the two minute version of what you're doing now <laughs> really focusing on fleet at the moment and what is important about that is you're starting to see all the highlights out there hertz making a hundred thousand vehicle order for teslas uh amazon making a hundred thousand vehicle order for rivians this is going to continue to roll over but on the back side of that is how do you charge all those vehicles it's almost impossible and you have to have charging tenants to be on staff 24 7 moving vehicles around, plugging them in, the cost to operate an electric vehicle charging type of operation for hundreds of thousands of vehicles in fleet just is tremendously hard to do. It's, it's we will say borderline, even impossible. So at the moment, some of the really cool things that we're working on is automated valet parking. And what that is, is a technology that moves the vehicles around in the depot areas, the, the fleet yards, or in the parking lot areas where these vehicles are already standing overnight and are ready to charge. And instead of having to have one vehicle and one charger uh, as, a, as a relationship, as a ratio, you can reduce the amount of chargers by having these vehicles be able to pull up and charge wirelessly on their own. 
constricted and confined within the safe space of a fleet yard, okay? So we're not talking about in the public, moving these vehicles around and things like that. What we can start to see is what does this work best with? Well, last mile logistics. All these kinds of DHL, you know, FedEx, UPS, these kinds of companies are making pledges to having a fully electric fleet. Uh, and Amazon's already on that case, right? So they're going to bring those vehicles to stand overnight and charge typically overnight. Most of those vehicles don't move for 10 hours every single night. However, what the fast and furious part of this is getting them charging today. And so what we have seen from the models that we are building on right now with these kinds of last mile logistic companies, taxi companies, and even rental car companies is that by having automated valet parking where the vehicles are able to move themselves and park themselves and charge themselves and move themselves off the charging pad, the, the upfront costs for wireless charging versus plug-in charging, wireless charging can reduce costs by 41% upfront CapEx if they do that just by reducing charges because they don't need as many chargers. So that's a huge win. We're talking about, if, as an example, if Amazon was to do this, as an example, with the 100,000 vehicles they have, and they reduced their amount of chargers they need from plug-in chargers to wireless, we could save them almost a billion dollars upfront cost. And those kinds of opportunities are where we're seeing wireless today. The next time we get to speak together, and I hope we do, we could talk about how vehicles can be charged on the fly, on the go, hmm. and be charged with renewable power, known sourced directly into that roadway and then taking those electrons, those renewable electrons to your home, to your work, to the places you play and being able to redistribute renewable energy into your neighborhoods, into your communities and into buildings without having to have transmission lines in between. So gives you a reason to bring me back on for a future time. <laughs> well, as we, as we sign off today, Tell our listeners what they can do as consumers to get the word out on this and to question the people that make the, the choices and the decisions about how this is all going to be implemented. Because as you say, obviously, it's a very complex process and we're used to doing business in, and doing this um, mobility thing in a very different way over the last hundred years. Give us one good idea for how consumers can become part of the process here and accelerate the pace of it. Demand wireless charging at the dealership. It's that simple. Because the dealerships are typically franchisees of the major automakers. And so they have the ability and the right to discern what they want to put onto vehicles and what they want to sell. So if you want wireless charging on your car today or tomorrow when you make that decision, the easiest way to do that is to tell your dealership or to tell the automaker or service center directly. The other part of this is you can always come to Hebo.com to learn more about our products. And you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and then obviously Instagram to find out more about what we're up to. Great. And how can people get in touch with you, Jeremy, if they have questions about what we're discussing on the podcast today? Please reach out to us at hello at HeboPower.com. Terrific. Well, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure to speak with you again. Uh, it sounds like you've got a very busy schedule ahead of you. So I'll let you get back to work and we will too. Thanks again to Jeremy McCool, founder and CEO 
of HEVO. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you.